Chapter Twenty One of the Charing Cross Mystery by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Order in Writing. Heatherwick realized at once that Bapperley had news and was waiting there to communicate it. But he looked not so much at Mapperley as at Mapperley's companion. Mapperley, as Heatherwick had remarked to more than one person in the course of those proceedings, concealed his sharpness under an unusually commonplace exterior. He looked, as a rule, like a young man whose ideas rarely soared above a low level. But the Jew was of a different aspect. Heatherwick was not quite sure whether he was rat or ferret. There was subtlety and craft written all over him, from his bright, beady eyes to the long, thin, dirty fingers, and before Mapperley spoke, his employer felt sure that in this son of Israel the clerk had found a valuable associate. "'Hullo, Mapperley!' exclaimed Heatherwick. "'Waiting for me? You've some news, I suppose?' Mapperley, grave and formal, pointed a finger at the Jew. "'Mr. Isidore Goldmark, sir,' he said, "'friend of mine. "'I got him to give me a bit of assistance in this Basveli and Vivian affair. "'The fact is, sir, he knows Vivians, don't you, Issy?' "'Some,' replied Mr. Goldmark, with a grin. "'And he knows Basveli, too,' continued Mapperley. "'By sight, anyhow. "'So I got him, for a consideration,' to watch for Basveri's next appearance on that scene, and then, when he did come, to keep an eye on him, trick him, in fact. And Issy's seen him to-night, Mr. Heatherwick, and followed him. Then Issy came to me, and I brought him here. Good, said Heatherwick. Sit down, both of you, and I'll hear about it. He dropped into his own easy-chair, and again regarding the Jew decided that he was probably a creditable witness. "'What do you do at Vivian's?' he asked. "'Employed there?' Mr. Goldmark glanced at Mapperley and smiled knowingly. Mapperley nodded. "'All confidential, is he?' he said reassuringly, going no further. "'Of course this is all confidential and secret,' remarked Heatherwick. "'I only want to know the precise connection between Vivian's and Mr. Goldmark. "'It's the sort of semi-official matter,' answered the Jew. "'Fact is, I do a bit o' commission work for Vivian's customers. Turf, you know. So I'm in and out of an evening, eh? "'I see.' "'All right. And you know, Pasveli?' "'Ath well, ath I know my own nose,' replied Goldmark. "'How long have you known him?' "'Some time.' "'Do you know what he is?' "'Ain't an idea, mister, and nobody else that I know of. "'Lives on his wits, I should say, if you ask me. "'Wrongen. "'Nor where he lives?' "'No, mayor. "'All I know is that he comes to Vivint now and then. "'And you saw him to-night?' "'I did, mister, to-night, as ever was. "'What time was that?' "'About eight o'clock, mister, nearest I can fix it.' "'Well, what happened?' "'This, mister. He came in about eight, as I say, 
I was there doing a bit of business with another customer, but really he didn't stop. He wasn't in the place three minutes, and while he was in, he seemed to me to be a bit fidgety, um, suspicious-like, looked round and about him cautious. Then he went, and I followed him, according to instructions from Mr. Mapley there. Where did he go? Well, mister, I'll give you the particulars in full. When I set out on a job of that sort, I do it proper. He turned out of candlestick passage into the lane, and he had a drink at our bar there. Then he went to Trafalgar Square Tube. I was close behind him when he booked a moment. Does he know you? May just know me by sight, mister, but not enough to excite any suspicion in him that he saw me behind him. I never had no track with him, never spoke with him. Well, go on. Where did he book to? Warwick Avenue, mister. So did I, of course. When we got there, I followed him out at a safe distance. He turns down to the canal, crossed the bridge, and went down to St. Mary's Mansfield's. And there he went in. Heatherwick glanced at Mapperley. Mapperley permitted himself to wink at his employer, respectfully but knowingly. Went into St. Mary's Mansions, eh? said Heatherwick. Walked straight in. Straight in, mister. Front entrance. I see him from across the road, talking to the man in livery, porter, or whatever he is. I could see through the glass door. Then I see both of them go up in the lift. So I waited about a bit, just to see if he'd come out. He did. Soon, asked Heatherwick. He was inside about ten minutes. Then he came out, alone. This time he went in the other direction. I followed him across Paddington Green to Edgware Road Tube. And there, well, to tell you the truth, mister, there I lost him. There was a lot of people about, and I made sure he'd be going through. But he must have got wet. Anyhow, I lost him altogether. Well, I think you saw enough to be of help, said Heatherwick. Now, just keep this to yourself, Goldmark. He motioned Mapperly into another room, gave him money for his assistant, and waited until the Jew had gone, shown out by the clerk. Eleven o'clock, he remarked, glancing at his watch, as Mapperley came back. Mapperley, we're going out, to St. Mary's Mansions. And after we've been there and made a call, you'd better come back here with me and take a shakedown for the night. I shall want you in the morning, unless I'm mistaken. It was one of Mapperley's chief virtues, that he was always ready to go anywhere and do anything, and he at once accompanied Heatherwick to the top of the Middle Temple Lane, found a taxicab within five minutes, and proposed himself to sit up and shake down that night and the next, if necessary. "'Sense getting hot, I think, sir,' he remarked as they drove off, after bidding the driver carry them to Paddington Green. "'Things seem to be coming to a head.' "'Yes, but I don't think you know everything,' answered Heatherwick, he proceeded to give the clerk an epitomized account of the day's doings, as they had related to himself, concluding with Matherfield's theory as expressed after leaving the green archer. 
"'You're a smart chap, Mapperley,' he added. "'What do you think?' "'I see Matherfield's point,' answered Mapperley. "'I can follow his line. "'He thinks like this. "'Hannaford, when he came to London, "'wanted to get rid, advantageously, "'of that formula of his about a new ink. "'He got into touch with Ambrose, "'whom, of course, he'd known before at Sellerthwaite. "'Ambrose introduced him to some men,' who deal or dabble in chemicals, of whom one, no doubt, is Basveri, and who seem to have a laboratory or something of that sort somewhere in the Westminster district. On the night of the murder, Ambrose met Hannaford by appointment at Victoria, and took him there. Probably Hannaford left a sealed packet, opened by that time, with these fellows. Probably, too, while there he told them, jokingly likely what he'd discovered from the picture in the papers about the identity of mrs whittingham and madame Mistorel. and now comes in granite heatherwick gave an exclamation that denoted two or three things surprise for one ah granite to be sure i'd forgotten granite i hadn't remarked mapperley with a cynical laugh granite and his murder is an essential factor what i think is this we know that hannaford met ambrose at victoria station that all-important evening ambrose without doubt took him to the place i hinted at just now the exact location of which is a mystery i think hannaford stopped there until late in the evening but i also think he went back again with granite ah exclaimed heatherwick i see we know continued mapperley that granite went that evening to see the chemist who gave information about him we know too that he and the chemist went and had a drink together and parted at about closing time granite then according to the chemist going towards victoria street now i think that granite then met hannaford accidentally they'd known each other in Sellerthwaite. they'd talked granite told hannaford he was down on his luck hannaford evidently was a kind-hearted man and i think he did two things out of kindness for granite he gave him that five-pound note that was got at vivian's interrupted heatherwick quickly to be sure but we know that hannaford had been at vivian's with basveri undoubtedly taken there by basveri which makes me certain that for two or three days before his death he'd been in touch with both basvili and ambrose hannaford got that fiver in change and vivian's and he gave it to granite on hearing his story but he did something else something that was far more important that is far more important to us what asked heatherwick he turned back to the place he'd just left and took granite with him answered mapperley with confidence he knew granite was a trained and qualified chemist he thought he could get him a job without these men who presumably were going to take up his own invention it would be little more than half-past ten then where else than at this place are hannaford and granite likely to have been between that time and the time at which they got into your carriage at st james's park of course they were there with ambrose and basvili 
"'As you put it, highly probable,' said Heatherwick. Two and a half hours. Doing what?' "'Ah, now we come to the real thing,' exclaimed Mapperley. "'My own belief is that Hannaford was fatally poisoned "'when he left those two men the first time. "'They'd two objects in poisoning him, "'or, to put it another way, "'he'd entrusted them with two secrets, "'one about Madame Listorel, "'the other about his invention. "'They wanted to keep both to themselves "'and to profit by both.' The invention, no doubt, has considerable value. Hannaford believed it had, anyway. They thought they could blackmail Madame and her sister, Lady Riversfried. So, before Hannaford left them the first time, they poisoned him, cleverly, subtly, devilishly. Knowing that so many hours would elapse before the poison worked, and that by that time he'd be safe in bed at his hotel and would die in his sleep. "'But he went back to them again and took another man with him. "'So that man had to die, too.' "'Heatherwick thought a while in silence. "'Oh, very good theory, Mapperley,' he said at last. "'But it may be nothing but theory. "'Why did Granite run off at Charing Cross?' "'Because Granite knew that Ambrose lived in John Street close by.' "'replied Mapperley with promptitude. "'He may have known it before. "'He may not have known it until that evening. "'But he knew it. "'Most likely he thought that Ambrose had returned home "'from the place in Westminster. "'Ambrose may have left there before Hannaford and Granite did. "'Anyway, we may be reasonably certain "'that when Granite left you with the dying or dead man, "'he ran off to Ambrose's flat a few minutes away.' "'Why didn't he come back?' demanded Heatherwick. "'I'm only wanting to get at probabilities.' "'I've thought of that, too,' replied Mapperley. "'I think he found Ambrose out. "'But by that time he'd had time to reflect. "'He knew something was wrong. "'He knew that if he went back he'd find the police there "'and would be questioned. "'He might be suspected. "'And so he went home.' with the bottle in which Ambrose had given him a drop of whiskey for himself, and died in his sleep as they thought Hannaford would. "'Why should Ambrose have that bottle down at Westminster?' asked Heatherwick. "'Why shouldn't he?' exclaimed Mapperley. "'A man who's taking a tonic takes it at least three times a day, regularly. He'd have his bottle with him.' Probably there are several similar empty bottles there at that place. Where is that place? exclaimed Heatherwick. Where? Got to be found, said Mapperley, as the cab came to a stand. But here's this. Heatherwick led his companion across Paddington Green and to the house from which he and Matherfield had watched the flats opposite. Late as it was, the lodging-house keeper was up and lent a willing ear to Heatherwick's request that he should go with him to his friend the caretaker of the mansions. That functionary was at supper. He continued to sup as Heatherwick, morally supported by the lodging-house man, explained matters to him, but at last he allowed his cheek to bulge with unswallowed food and turned a surprised and knowing eye on his principal visitor.
blamed if I didn't wonder whether it was all okay with that chap, he said, banging the table with the haft of his knife. For all he was quite the gentleman, I somehow suspicioned him, and yet he'd a straight tale to tell. Come here on Madame's behalf to get something for her out of her rooms, had her keys, and give me a note from her saying as how I was to allow the bearer to go up to her flat. What more could I expect, and what could I do under the circs, I ask her? "'Oh, he had a note, had he?' inquired Heatherwick. "'In Madame's writing?' The caretaker laid down his knife, and, thrusting his hand in his breast pocket, drew forth an envelope and silently handed it over. It was an azure-tinted envelope of a very good quality of paper, and the sheet inside matched it in tint and quality. But Heatherwick at once noticed something about that sheet.' So, too, did Mapperley, peering at it from behind his elbow, about an inch and a half, had been rather roughly cut off at the top. Obviously, some address had been engraved or embossed or printed on the missing portion. As for what was written on the sheet, it was little, a simple order that the caretaker should allow bearer to go into Madame Storel's flat. "'You recognize that as Madame's handwriting?' suggested Heatherwick. "'Oh, that's her fist, right enough, that is,' replied the caretaker. "'I knew it at once, and no wonder. "'I ain't no scholar, not me, but I knows enough that it'd puzzle one of them here forgers, as he reads about, to imitate that there sort of writing, more like as if it had been done with a wooden skewer than a Christian pen. "'Oh, that's hers.' Heatherwick handed the letter and envelope to Mapperley, who was holding out a hand. "'Well,' he said, "'I wish you'd just let me have a look into Madame's flat. There's something seriously wrong, and—' "'Oh, you can do that, long as I'm with you,' said the caretaker readily. He rose and led the way to the left, and presently ushered them into a small flat and turned on the electric light.' "'Don't see nothing wrong here,' he observed. "'That chap wasn't here ten minutes, and he carried nothing heavy away, whatever he had in his pockets.' Heatherwick and Mapperly looked round. Everything seemed correct and in order. The surroundings were those of a refined and artistic woman, obviously one who loved order and system. But on a desk that stood in the centre of the sitting-room, a drawer had been pulled open, and in front of it, lay scattered a few sheets of Madame Listorin's private note-paper, with her engraved address and crest. Nearby lay some envelopes, similarly marked. And with a sudden idea in his mind, Heatherwick picked up a sheet or two of the paper and a couple of envelopes, and put them in his pocket. A few minutes later, once more in the cab which they had kept waiting, and on the way to Hill Street, whither Heatherwick had bidden the driver to go next, Mapperly turned to his employer with a sly laugh, and held up something in the light of a street lamp by which they were passing. "'What's that?' asked Heatherwick. "'The order, written by Madame Listorel,' answered Mapperly, chuckling. "'The caretaker didn't notice that I carried it off, envelope and all, under his very eyes,' "'But I did, and here it is.' 
"'What do you want to do with it?' demanded Heatherwick. "'What's your notion?' But Mapperley only chuckled again, and without giving any answer, restored the azure-tinted envelope and its contents to his pocket. End of chapter 21